Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take research in the equine industry and we try and make it accessible to all equine enthusiasts and owners. And just remember that with each paper that we discuss, it's always important to look at your horse as an individual. So before you decide to implement any of the research or to try and make changes, it's always worth getting a professional's advice beforehand. In this episode, we're going to look at nutrition considerations for the aged horse. And this is a paper that was carried out by N. Jarvis, M. R. Paradis, and P. Harris in 2019. And this was a literature review where they looked over a number of different research papers that spanned over a course of years. And they picked out the most important things that we can implement to help with our aging horses. And I know, Nancy, you were saying that you've got an older horse at home. I thought my horse was older, I have to admit, because even in the paper, it says this, that you know, long ago it was perceived that anything over 15 was old and I have a 17 year old mare. So I thought, oh, you know, she's really getting on. So I was delighted to see that actually now with horses living longer, they perceive over 22 years old. So I've changed my perception a little bit (laughs) on where she's standing. Well, and I was um, um, happy to see that there's um, chronological age but then there's also lifestyle age that they assess in this paper. And my 23-year-old thoroughbred mare, she really is not like a 23-year-old. She still has muscle mass. She's still active. Um, Her dentition is good. So her age, I can't remember. Do you remember what they called that age? Um, Um, The physiological age? Yes, her physiological age, I would guesstimate would be like maybe around 16, 17, 18 years old because she's in such great shape. So that was good to know. And and they did say that like 68% of horses over the age of 20 were rated as a good to moderate body condition. So it seems like as all of our horses begin to live longer because we have better husbandry and management and veterinary care, um, they seem to do better. They're not such senior horses as they might have been in the past. Yeah, and I find that quite interesting because In my head, I've always had this perception that, you know, your older horse that's really getting on is going to be, um, you know, losing weight, not maintaining that condition, looks like they're just not thriving as much. And a lot of the studies they looked at um, found that actually it's a really low percent that are underweight. In one study where I think it was over 900 horses, um that were over the age of 15, they found something like 80% of the horses were in good condition, 8% were under, and 2%, or sorry, 10% were actually overweight. Yeah. So, you know, they were either in good condition or overweight. It was only a smaller proportion that was under. So that kind of changed the way that I've looked at it because I would have had like the preconception that, okay, they're getting older, we need to just start increasing 
um, you know, increasing the nutrients, increasing protein and upping that calorie intake, when actually they may not necessarily need that. Yeah, I found that interesting, too, because so much of the time we do end up increasing their intake. However, without thinking, they may have an absorption problem where you're just Mm -hmm. exacerbating the problem by not recognizing it, that you can put all the concentrates you want into this horse, but unless they can adequately digest those contents, it's not going to matter, you know? So they were really good about that as far as um, describing the dentition and all the absorption issues that can occur metabolically where the horse just continues to not take in those nutrients. So it was a very good point because I assumed as well that most senior horses may be on the thin side, but but it, it didn't ring true. Yeah, and I think that's interesting as well because um, I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to horse digestion, so I always love to learn more. But when it comes to like the physical part of the digestion, that fascinates me. So the fact that if horses are eating long grain forage, they're making this figure of eight sweeping motion with their jaw. So they're wearing their teeth down evenly on all aspects. And we know that teeth become an issue as horses get older anyway. But if we're starting to supplement with more concentrates and we're reducing forage, then we're going to exasperate that. Because when horses are eating concentrates, they don't make that same sweeping motion. And then the other thing that I thought in relation to that um, is this paper does touch on osteoarthritis and how that can have an effect. And it doesn't actually mention um, the temporomandibular joint, but that is an area where horses can get osteoarthritis. And that's where the lower jawbone connects to the skull. So it just got me thinking, you know, if our horses have some form of osteoarthritis that we're not aware of because maybe they've always been good doers and we've never had the vet out to see them, they haven't you know, shown a problem and why would they? Because they're prey animals. If they have this arthritis either of that joint or some of the other areas that we can talk about as well, that's going to have a huge effect on their appetite and the movement of their jaw. And then their intake is going to have a knock-on effect on their digestive system. And it's just, it really is like the catalyst for the whole horse to work properly. Yes. And um, it's just amazing that even sometimes their social situation affects their appetite because they talked about anorexia of aging, which we know humans get. Well, they talk about how horses have that too, um, where they're just not hungry as in their younger days. And some of that can be socially induced because if they were the alpha mare in your herd, and now because of arthritis or not feeling as well, they get knocked out of that lead position they can kind of get depressed and lose that appetite. So you've got, it's kind of the whole horse aspect of, you know, what you're feeding, what you're putting them into as far as a social situation. And then also just being aware of noticing if your horse is losing weight. So, you know, they talk about using a weight tape 
or I think they called it a weight bridge or weight tape. And um, most of us don't have a weight bridge because that's more like a scale. So I do, yeah. I do use a weight tape and I uh, use it every month just to keep track on weight gain as well as weight loss. Cause sometimes your eyes don't pick that up, especially if you see them every day. Definitely. And what I thought was really interesting in this actually is because in my house, I would have had like two or three weight tapes kicking about. Um, <laughs> and I have to say, I haven't used them very regularly at all because my mayor has always just, she, you know, when she was younger, she struggled more to put on condition, but she's been brilliant over the last like 10 years, probably just steady not not an issue touch wood that I don't jinx it <laughs> so I haven't used them a huge amount but they are all different brands and this study does point out that for the way tape to be effective in its use it has to be the same brand you have to be using it in the exact same place every time as well because whether you're using it slightly further back on the barrel is going to make a bigger difference in what you're recording yep and and the same place on the withers I try to do it the same position on all of my horses and because otherwise you may get different readings because it's just an estimate when you're using a weight tape it's not um, something that is an exact you know number so um, the other yeah. thing that I think people it's so important if you have a senior horse is to have a veterinarian or an equine dentist do a full mouth examination because so much of the time if a horse is losing weight it's because of their dentition and their teeth do get a little get worn and you know as good as you are and as good as the horse is at having you examine their mouth there's nothing like um, having a speculum you know, full mouth speculum put in and let a veterinarian look at the molars and the incisors and just assess the overall, um, you know, needs of the mouth and what it's showing because there'll be irregular growth patterns or a wave or whatever, um, you know, if the horse is having problems chewing. Yeah, definitely. Um, we actually have a brilliant equine dentist at home and she's so knowledgeable on the subject she could definitely come on at some point and talk for days I'm sure about it but it is just so important to get that checkup even if you aren't riding your horse like my horse is out to pasture and um, most of the year well she's out all year round but we don't do a massive amount of work with her I should say um, throughout the year and we still get that check every year yeah. because it's just so important to stay on top of and even in this study they showed a picture of a horse that has a slightly overgrown um, molar and the damage is done to the inside of that horse's cheek it's just caused a really large ulcer that's going to be so painful like if you think about when you bite your lip by accident it hurts for days and you end up biting it again and again yeah. So for them to have this constant wearing, it just, it must be so uncomfortable for them and then will have a knock-on effect on their appetite. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the other things I found so interesting, you mentioned the osteoarthritis. 
was um, putting having the feed tub on the ground sometimes makes it more difficult for an older horse to be able to eat comfortably. And they actually showed having the bucket um, more, you know, just slightly below wither height so they don't have to reach down as far. And I never would have thought of that because I always heard that feeding from the ground is the most natural and best way to feed a horse. But, um, you know, in this article or this research paper, it did state that sometimes that can be an uncomfortable position for an older horse. So you need to hang a more traditional feed tub. And, you know, mine, I have a few that eat off the ground because the one had the tie back surgery and he has got to have um, his head lowered below wither height to be able to swallow and not get any food into his lungs. So he will always be a ground feeder. But all my other horses feed out of corner feed tubs. And so I was happy to read that because sometimes I feel like I've read so many different things about how much better it is for them to be ground feeders and to feed that way out of their natural, you know, I guess, etiology. So um, anyway, that was good news that my 23-year-old mare, she loves her feed tub and she likes it where it's always been. So I'll keep it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because in the, in the study as a part of that, they said as well, you know, consider even though the hay net is raised, yeah. if you have a horse that has osteoarthritis in the cervical vertebrae, so the vertebrae of the neck, the action of pulling that hay out of the hay net yeah. is painful. I, so even though that is now at the right height, we're still causing, you know, something that's more difficult. Yeah. Um, so they had suggested using hay nets that have larger holes. But interestingly, I have actually seen like hay troughs used instead. So literally just like a massive bucket that's on the stable door and the hay is dipped into it so they can take the hay without resistance. Yeah, that I, I have seen those and they sell quite a few of them over here where um, there's like a hay rack and then there's a pan that catches the smaller hay that falls through or yeah. like the chaff and the, the leaves. And then they can also access that. So, um, but anyway, um, I thought that was really interesting about the feeding and also to soak their feed. So, and maybe feed in smaller amounts. So if you give like a alfalfa pellet, um, you know, go ahead and give the normal serving, but when you soak it, it's going to be four times the amount. So you might want to feed in smaller portions more frequently. Yeah, and that that's so important as well when you have older horses that are underweight. So when you're trying to increase their calories, you need to be conscious of how you're providing those extra calories because their stomachs are small, you know, relative to the size of the animal. They're designed to be grazers so if we are deciding okay we want to try and get this horse to put on weight 
you're not going to do that efficiently by just increasing their forage. You need to add in something that's like a little more nutrient dense. So adding in some concentrates and maybe some fats in there as well, because that means you're giving them the smaller meal that's not going to put their stomach under pressure, but you're getting that added um, nutrient content in there. But again, that comes down to the point you made, Nancy, that you need to make sure they're clinically sound, that they can actually absorb those nutrients and they don't have something underlying going on. Yep. And I think uh, having your veterinarian come out once or twice a year, um, just, you know, doing a blood panel will show some maybe where some deficiencies are. And then also um, they said like 37.8% of horses over the age of 15 were given a joint supplement to help them with their sore joints. And I was amazed that there was a study done in 2006 that out of 23 commercially available joint supplements, nine products failed to meet the label claim and one product had zero glucosamine, yet it advertised that it did have it. So I think it's important since there really is not a um, governing body, like not in the US, we don't have the Food and Drug Administration oversee nutraceuticals. Um, If there is any questions, do your research before you buy those joint supplements and make sure what you're giving really can do what it says it's doing and do, you know, Google it, go to Google Scholar, check out what other people say, because otherwise you're just wasting your money. Definitely, because There were studies as well that have shown overall, and this is in humans as well, that there is a low quality of evidence for products like glucosamine. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how expensive these can be. Like I've I've looked at getting glucosamine before um, because I have the joy of having rickety knees. But (laughs) when I went, it was so pricey. And then I read up on it and I realized, actually, you would be paying an arm and a leg for something that's not proven to work. So as Nancy said, go to Google Scholar anytime that you want to research something. Don't just rely on Google because the first 10 results you're going to get are companies that have paid for those results to come up. Yeah. So that doesn't mean you're necessarily getting um, unbiased information. And sometimes, too, the whole point of this podcast is to discuss you know, research that's maybe not available in the general horsey world. So talking to people, you know, they may have always just given it as their go-to. And that advice may be fine and it's sound, but it might make a huge difference to your horse. So you want to make sure you're using reliable um, resources to see, is it worth investing in? Yeah. And we don't want to be giving glucosamine thinking we're doing good things for our horses, because if you give it, you may imagine you see an improvement, but you really want to know that you're alleviating any painful conditions, not just feeding something that um, you could be pouring down the drain doing just as much good. So um, it would 
definitely do your research and um, buy from reliable companies and call them and talk to them, even though their people are working for that company, they will tell you how much is in there. And there should be an independent lab that has um, verified the amount is in there. So I just was amazed. And these companies were in the USA and they tested 23 uh, glucosamine products in nine out of the 23, which I guess I should be glad it's not 50%. So, (laughs) you know, it opened my eyes because you're always thinking, oh, maybe if I give a supplement and, and I do give um, vitamins and supplements to my horses, but I'm so um, a nerd in doing the research on what to give. So, and there's nothing against that. Just, um, you know, you can do um, feed, uh, um, I guess feed XL has that information in it. And then there's gotta be other labs that will have that equianalytical may even have that information stored for free on their website. So I know they break down hay analysis in the United States, and I do believe they also do grains and um, other things. I'm not so certain how many supplements they've analyzed, though. Yeah, and I would say as well that, you know, we briefly mentioned pain relief but if you think at all your horse is showing signs of change in um, the way they are walking or the way they're eating or anything it is so important to get a vet out to check them because they're prey animals they could be hiding that pain and while it is you know a nice idea to be able to manage our horses holistically often we can't you know, be seen to ignore that there is pain present and older animals that are stiff will benefit from being on an anti-inflammatory. So it's something that we just have to do to ensure the comfort and the welfare of our animals. And I think like it's something across, you know, all ownerships that's so easily missed because certainly we see in the small animal veterinary industry, it's a crazy percentage, something like 80% of cats over the age of 10 will have some form of osteoarthritis. So they're in some form of pain, but we know cats live to be over 20 years old and the majority aren't on pain relief, you know, into their twenties. So it really is something that animals will learn to cope and adapt with chronic pain, but we need to make sure that we're acknowledging that that is a possibility so we can catch it early and step in and make our horses more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want them to be comfortable. It's not typical for a horse to have to cope with pain. So, um, and that's even dentition um, pain or problems, you know, in the mouth. That's even having PPID because they're more likely to have that as they age. And uh, you just want to help them through their older years just like you would help an older relative or as you would want help as you age to just kind of cope with things that are kind of getting a little out of balance. Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought what was quite nice as well about this study is they actually made a very easy to read table 
for what you can do to try and help your horse, depending on where they're kind of sitting in their body condition score and how they're doing. Um, because they had pointed out a couple of things you want to check. So a lot of people don't know where to start when they have an older horse. And some of the points the study said is look at the body condition to start. You know, if your horse is sitting in a healthy body range and you're doing a consistent weigh measurement with your tape, then you may not have to change much just yet, but you need to be consistent in checking to ensure that you catch any signs early. On top of that, you want to check a thorough history. You want to get teeth checked every year, like Nancy said, and consider environmental factors, worming protocols, and consider doing clinical exams. So there's a whole host of things that need to come into play before you ever change the diet. You need to take all of this information together to be able to make an informed decision. But then on the little chart they had, um, I thought it was just so useful. So they had pointed out that if you have an aged horse, but they're healthy and an ideal weight, then their forage just needs to be about 2% of their body weight and a good quality grass or hay or haylage. And that really does link back to what Brittany said in our episode last week of getting your hay tested. And I know you've said that before as well, Nancy. Um, so I don't know if you've got any more information on how people can go about getting their hay tested each year. Well, in the United States, we're losing hay farmers. I mean, they age and they retire and we don't seem to have a young group of hay farmers that want to come in. Now, my husband and I, we do farm hay. It is backbreaking work. However, so many horse owners and barn owners are forced to get 60 bales from one farmer, 60 bales from another farmer, because your big hay farms are just disappearing. So what I would recommend if you have so many different batches of hay that it's not economical to be getting them all tested, what you can do is go to Equi Analytical and pick your area where you live and they have tested thousands of hay from all over the United States and they give you an average. Now, the standard deviations for that average, they're somewhat large because it depends on um, the time of day you cut the hay, um, also the maturity of the hay, the climate, the soil, so much goes into it. But at least that may give you an average that you can work with if you can't test your hay. Now, I farm my own hay, so I'll get hundreds of bales in, and it's more um, realistic for me to get that tested. But if you're like a normal horse owner with one or two horses and you get hay from all over the place, um, you know, just go to Equian Analytical. It's free. You can check out amounts and just take into account that large standard deviation. Perfect. Yeah. And also um, for senior horses, I had told um, Kate before we began the show is that the long stemmed hay is so much harder for an older horse to digest and to chew and 
um, you know, digestion starts in their mouth with their chewing. So this year with the rainy season, oh my God, I think it rained the whole month of March, April, and May. First cutting didn't really happen until June. So a lot of what's available out there for hay cutting is very mature hay that's long stem. So um, if you do have older horses, you may want to pass on that or see if you can soak it, chop it up. Um, a lot of horses won't eat that hay because there's really no flavor to it. It's too mature. But um, if you have to go with that, maybe consider adding alfalfa cubes to it that are soaked. And that's funny because we had discussed this, um, you and I before, but there was a whole year in the UK and Ireland where we couldn't harvest hay because the weather was so bad the whole year round. Um, so it's just so interesting. And I think that's probably the upside of, you know, living in a country like the States where you have different climates within the one country. I don't know if that makes it easier to source it in from other states or if you can, I suppose that would be so much more expensive to do, though. It is. It's it's getting to the point where, um, you know, like we get four or five cuttings of hay in the summer. And a lot of places you just get one cutting of hay a year. But we're able, if we lose a cutting or we get a cutting that's a little too mature for horses, we can sell it for and uh, wait for that next cutting. So we did get a first and second cutting. First cutting's a little stemmy. So what I will do is blend them. And our second cutting was really pretty hay. So now we'll work on getting a third, a fourth. And then if we do get a fifth, it's always iffy whether it will dry in the coolness of the fall. So uh, hay farming is a whole different show and it is so difficult to get good horse hay. That's really interesting where you were saying you would blend it. And mm -hmm. um, because they do mention this here as well, you know, if you need to supplement it or mix hays, adding in an alfalfa hay, something that'll bring it up, especially they have this in the table for your aged, healthy horses that are underweight. Yep. So you want to try and increase that forage. And, and But what I thought was really good about the overweight horses, and it's something that I think we're all really bad at is being patient. But it says, you know, once you make these changes, so in your overweight horse, you're going to reduce that forage. Um, you're going to have very little concentrates. You might add some small handfuls of high fiber pellets in a bowl to prevent boredom. You're going to limit how much they're out on the grass because you really can't control what that intake is. But it points out specifically that you don't change. So you make your first change and you wait a full month. And if your horse hasn't lost weight, then you make your next change. So it is really a long game with nutrition. You're not going to see a difference overnight. You need to make sure that you're monitoring them closely and you're giving them that time to adapt to the change you've made. Yeah, I always remember when we took equine reproduction, um, the instructor had told us the only time a horse goes into a huge mode of change quickly, rapidly, is when it goes from getting oxygen from the placenta 
to using its lungs. And that happens as it goes through the hip area of the mare. And that's the only time in the life of a horse that abrupt change is the best thing for it. For the rest of its life, everything you do, you want to do extremely gradually. And I'll never forget that when she said that, because that is such an impact. You just cannot change your feeding style, your exercise style, anything in their life without taking it gradually. I think that's such a great note to end on. Okay. That well, and that's all I had for this. And the one thing I wanted to add though, this thing, this paper talked about measuring a horse's, um, the width of their butt or their rear end. And I never, ever thought to do that before. So now I'm going to use the uh, regular tape with regular measurement and measure the width of my older mare's butt because you're able to catch weight loss or weight gain so much easier um, measuring that width. And I never knew that before. So that's one thing I won't forget from this paper. (laughs) Definitely. I think like we're so ingrained and it is when you think about it, like when I read that sentence about measuring around their rear, you think to yourself, why do we just measure one specific point of the horse and base their entire weight on that? Yeah. You know, we should be taking everything else into consideration as well. Well, and I would have never thought that. So I thought my pony's kind of in trouble. She's got kind of a big booty. So um, maybe, oh, I, no. <laughs> maybe I won't want to measure hers. But definitely, <laughs> definitely the thoroughbred, the 23-year-old, I do notice that her butt is the thing to change first if ever she is, um, you know, cold because temperatures are extremely cold. I always blanket her because they did note that older horses have problems um, getting warm. Thermoregulation might not be what it used to be. And then also cooling themselves. So here we're undergoing some hundred degree heat days So I'll be extra cautious to make sure she doesn't get overheated because they have problems cooling themselves as well. And you will see that in their overall conditioning. You'll see that they'll begin to lose weight. So fascinating. I thought as well, an interesting point off of that was that they say you need to remember that as well with exercise. Mm -hmm. So when you're exercising the older horse, they're not going to thermoregulate the same way as a younger horse will. You need to keep that in consideration for how hard you're working them. Well, I think we've covered every bit of this paper, Kate, you know, and I think I think so too. (laughs) I think it's interesting to read about what can happen, but also it's very interesting to see that on average, most of these horses in this day and age are aging very well and very gracefully. It's definitely a credit to the horse industry that we have at the moment. Like owners are so in tune with their horses. I really think, you know, of all, well, it's probably a very broad comment to make, but of all the animal industries, I know you've got groups of people that will be really focused on dog health and cat health. But I think overall, we've got, you know, a good level of knowledge 
already there in the horse industry. It's not something that people tend to get into to, um, you know, willy nilly. Yeah. So I think it really is a credit because it shows in the research, like horses are living longer and they're healthier. And that's down to what we're doing. Yep. I think that's a good point and a great point to end on. So, and uh, for next week, um, we have a paper that's different and it's somewhat complicated, but I think it will be really interesting for our audience. It's a case for interspecies transfer of emotions, and it's a preliminary investigation on how human odors modify reactions of the autonomic nervous system in horses. So I kind of already started reading this paper and it's fascinating how if we're fearful of horses or if we were calm around them, how we actually emit as humans different odors and horses pick up on those odors. So anyway, we'll discuss that next show. And thank thanks to everyone for tuning in and listening and for the emails. And we do have a new feature that you can uh, send a recording of what you want to say to us and we'll be able to include it in the podcast. That's amazing. Thank you so much to everyone who's listening, as Nancy said. And I can't wait to read next week's paper. Okay, bye-bye, everyone. Take care.